if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Again, referencing back to verse 1, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. It has always been God's plan for his covenant people to trudge while trusting the Lord. Letting him have the victory for his glory. So I thought it would be helpful to kind of look back at our timeline. Uh, I want to use Hebrews 11 to kind of give us an idea of the context of what the writer is speaking about and help some of us kind of catch up with these Old Testament stories to kind of understand what's being referenced here. And, and this is this has a, 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 an exegetical, if you will, reason behind it is because the Hebrew writers in the month, they would reference things that and by referencing them, they were referencing not just the city of Jericho, not just that the walls fell flat, but they were referencing the whole context, the whole experience of the Hebrew people of the, that, that the listeners were made up of. Hebrew people, which is why it's called the Book of Hebrews. But if you remember, God made a covenant promise to Abraham that he was going to make a nation out of him and his descendants. He repeated that promise through his son Isaac, and to Isaac's son Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons who became his 12 tribes. Jacob's name was changed to Israel by God. Therefore, his sons who became the 12 tribes were these 12 tribes of Israel. The nation of Israel was born. These 70 people who Jacob's children and grandchildren made up of, they went down to Egypt and lived there for 400 years. At one point in their time there, they were made into slaves in Egypt. Until God raised up Moses, their deliverer, and from Egypt, this incubator of a nation of God's people, three million people were brought up as an exodus out of Egypt. So this led to, uh, and I have a map here for us, um, if you want to move forward there on the map, there, there we go, great, thanks. Uh, number one, this blue line represents the people's exodus out of Egypt, traveling down south into the Sinai Peninsula. After crossing the Red Sea, which we looked at, referenced in Hebrews 11, God takes Israel down to Mount Sinai, and he gives them their law. There is where we get the book of Leviticus, the law of the nation of Israel. If you, if you recall, one of, the, one of the best explanations of Exodus and Leviticus for me we're looking at this. Exodus is the second book of the Old Testament. Leviticus is the third book of the Old Testament. Exodus is about God getting his people physically out of Egypt. Leviticus is about God getting Egypt out of his people. Okay? Giving them a culture. Giving them rules and laws and how to live not just as a people, but as the people of God. And so number two there, that yellow line, Israel traveled straight north to the promised land, after, but after spying out the land, the people lose faith. Remember uh, back in, boy, when, how long ago was it, last fall, that uh, uh, Pastor Jeff preached on the issue in the book of Numbers in Kadesh Barnea, when the people sent, you know, 12 spies worth of spy out, 10, 10 were bad, 2 were good. So the people decided, we're not going in there. Not trusting, they rebelled, deciding that God could and would not deliver the land into their hands. And if you recall, God judges the generation of adults that rebelled because of their lack of faith. And they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until the old guard generation died out over those 40 years. And that's represented by that, that green, the number three there, of wandering in the wilderness. And then you see with number four, uh, the purple line there, finally, the new nation of Israel, uh, after these 40 years of wandering, the new guard is kind of coming and taking leadership. The new nation marches east of the Jordan River 
where Moses, their leader, died. The leadership is given over to Joshua, who Moses had been mentoring and God raised up to be his teacher. And he's given the task of leading the people into the promised land. To lead the army of these nomadic uh, uh, people against fortified cities that have been entrenched for centuries. Yet these the inhabitants of these people, as we will look at next week, are shaken in their boots because of this Because of this incredible that a nomadic Genesis is the beginning of everything, all right? But from there, you've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You have Exodus is about God taking his people physically out of Egypt. Leviticus, the book of Leviticus, as I said, God taking Egypt out of his people, the giving of the law. The book of Numbers involves uh, God's people traveling up to the promised land, rebelling, and then wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And the book of Deuteronomy is called Deuteronomy because it's the second giving of the law. And it's the event that's involved with uh, Moses and the people headed up to the promised land and the people learning the law again before heading into the promised land. So now you know what the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible are about. Come on, stay with us. So God has just given you this context. Now Joshua is there. Uh, he has by, uh, by, okay, so this brings us to Joshua. Before leaving them, Moses tells Joshua and Israel in Deuteronomy 9.1, Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today to go into this test, he brings up, to go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than you, cities great and fortified to the heavens. And, jo and Jericho would be the first of these. Joshua is promised that the Lord's presence would be with him. In Joshua 1.3 reads that God tells him, every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised in Joshua 1, verses 6 through 7, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people, speaking of Israel, to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all that the law of Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Now, the situation that we're going to be looking into here as referenced in Hebrews 11 verse 30 comes after Joshua and the whole nation of Israel, much like what they experienced crossing the Red Sea. They come to the River Jordan and, and the... the as we'll learn next week uh, through about the, the Rahab and, and the people of Jericho and the people of the land and what they were thinking about the Israelites, they are quaking. They are shaking in their boots because, like I said, they've watched this people travel all around, and we'll get into a little bit of like, like why that was surprising to them. But here they see this major geographic barrier of the Jordan River, and their thought is, okay, maybe their God has to stay on that side. And then they watch the Jordan part. Or different than the Red Sea, it actually stops up like a, like a uh, supernatural dam upriver. They watch the Jordan stop flowing. And they watch these three million people walk across it as on dry land. 
and they're like, oh crud, it has come to our doorstep. <coughs> That's an amazing, like I said, we'll get into it next week, an amazing, earth-shattering, world, worldview-shattering moment. Proving, as God says over and over again, especially in the Pentateuch, but in other places in the Old Testament as well, I am the God of the whole earth. But moving forward this morning, in this moment of Joshua and the nation of Israel staring at the city of Jericho, I hope this gives you the context if, uh, for what is being described in our verses, strange tactics, trudging while trusting. So what our verses are referring here to, we're going to see some of God's strange tactics for receiving maximum glory. Maximum glory for himself. We're going to learn about how God leveled a stronghold by his people trusting and obeying him. Um, we're getting into a lot of details here. First, uh, this is a rendering of ancient Jericho. <clears throat> I'll show you later an aerial picture of the actual dig of Jericho um, that we have today. In the 1950s, a British archaeologist named Kathleen Kenyon uh, began excavating uh, the city of Jericho. And she made some really incorrect, I don't know if any of you guys uh, read that article that I posted on Facebook this earlier week, um, earlier in this week, but it was followed up in 1997. And a conclusion of both of these um, archaeological digs was the structure of the walls of Jericho. Jericho was built on a huge mound of earth. It's called a tell. And uh, at the base of the tell, you can see uh, a retaining wall. And let me read uh, this correctly. Um, so the, the, the retaining wall was at the bottom of the embankment, and it reached from 12 to 15 feet high in itself. And on top of that retaining wall was a mud brick wall, six feet thick, totaling with the retaining wall at different points, 20 to 26 feet in height. Okay, that first wall down at the bottom. And then there was a dirt embankment going up to a second wall. And at the top of the embankment, of the, there was another mud brick wall. And, and as they're excavating, they, they can see, okay, this rock here, this stone, it was a part of the retaining wall. This piece of brick here, this was a part of the wall on top of the retaining wall, this mud brick wall. But, but from the base to the top of the second wall is about 46 feet in height from the ground level. Humanly speaking, one author says, humanly speaking, it was impossible for the Israelites to penetrate the impregnable bastion of Jericho. From our verse here this morning, first off, I want to challenge you to surrender yourself to God's glory. To surrender yourself to God's glory. How often is it, as I read from uh, Psalm 124, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. God has a way of putting us in a place of trudging while trusting. And we work through that according to his plan, first of all, surrendering ourselves to God's glory. It was by faith. But it wasn't by faith in just anything. It was by faith in God that the walls of Jericho fell down. Faith by itself isn't helpful. I can have faith. You can have faith in something that isn't true and it is just going to disappoint you. I can have an unstoppable faith in the idea that I am actually a woman. But it is not going to change the XY chromosomes that program every cell in my body. And being such a foundational issue, if I build my life on that lie, I'm going to be living a lie, and I'm going to run headlong into it eventually. The significance of the faith of this verse is that Israel had faith in God and in God's plan 
And we learn from Joshua 5 that God was and is about receiving his glory from his people. I love this exchange in Joshua 5, verses 13 through 15. So he's already been told, I'm going to give you every city. I'm going to give you every place where your, where your foot uh, treads. Only be strong and courageous in the Lord. And, and so, so he's, uh, Joshua is trying to figure out, okay, so how are we going to do this? And we read, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he, speaking about the man, says, no. Now, I grew up on the VeggieTales version of this, which I liked. And, you know, the guy says, neither. And that's essentially what he's saying. No, neither of you. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Don't you love that response? And notice Joshua is not going to respond with, wait a minute. I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. What do you think you're saying? No, we read, and Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. You guys who are familiar with the book of Exodus might be thinking of the burning bush where, where Moses meets God in the burning bush and God says, Take off the sandals of your feet. That's right. Shoes would be the same. Uh, I believe that this is what's called a Christophany. Okay, that would be an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. And there's several reasons uh, for my understanding of this. But pre-incarnate would be before Christ took on flesh. Okay? Uh, before he added a human nature to his divine nature. And I find proof in this in the fact that Joshua worships him. There are other places where a person work, tries to worship an angel, and the angel says, no, 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 don't worship me, I'm not God. But this being receives Joshua's worship, and not only does that, says you're not doing it right. The fact that he's standing there with a drawn sword when Joshua comes to him means he's ready to fight. He's ready to get into it. It's not so much that the people, that God's people fight for him, one author says. It's not so much that his people fight for him as much as he fights through them. And Joshua has committed to obey, to do the unthinkable, attacking the walled city of Jericho. Remember what faith is? The assurance of things hoped for. He's assured that this is going to happen. Joshua is. Notice also he finds the Lord is there with his sword drawn as if to say, oh, look who decided to show up. Good to see you're joining. Let's do this. Notice also Israel obeyed. Remember it says, by faith, we're looking at Hebrews, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they'd been encircled for seven days. It's not just referring to Joshua. Israel, the whole people of Israel obeyed as if they got the instructions too. As if they saw the angel, the commander of the Lord's army too. It was by faith. And remember that faith is evidence of what's unseen. And the plan called for everyone to do their part. And it was probably embarrassing. It would seem pointless if you're not familiar with it. You'll, we'll learn about that in a second here. <clears throat> you know, um, Pastor Jeff, Faith, I hope I don't embarrass you here. Pastor Jeff met with, with Faith ahead of time prior to her baptism last week. And, you know, and asked her the question, um, why do you want to get baptized? And one of her responses was, because God tells us to. 
because God tells us to. I don't know if you know faith's personality too much, and I'm and I'm and I apologize because this is going. Faith is very shy. All right. Now, folks, if you're not getting baptized, even though God tells you to, because you're too shy, let faith be your example here. All right. There's really no excuse. Because it's not about us. It's about God. It's about his glory. And what he tells us to do, we do it. And and it's best when we just go ahead and do it because he's going to tell us how to best glorify him. That's what it's about. Surrender yourself to God's glory. We do as we're told because it's not about us. And knowing, in knowing Christ, we should be grateful every day that God glorified himself by saving us. You know, the first message that I preached here at Harvest almost 11 years ago was, was walking through some of my favorite verses of Scripture. Just, I think it was uh, verses that have had the greatest impact on me. And the first that I shared is from Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. God is about his glory. He goes on to say in Isaiah 48, verse 5, I declare them to you from of old, before they came to pass. I announce them to you, lest you should say, my idol did them. My carved image and my metal image commanded them. Because our idols steal glory from God. It's common for people to complain about their life situation. But God tells his people in Isaiah 48, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. If you want to grow in a relationship with God, start by being about his glory. And you'll start getting with the program. Because that's what he's about. And he's the only one, the only being in the universe that deserves to be about his glory. So Israel wasn't there to earn street cred by walking around a city. And also we should be about God's glory, not ours. Not about our credibility. So anyways, next we learn from God's interesting tactics to submit ourselves to God's way. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after being sieged for six months or after being bombarded by elephants with poison tusks. No, by after being encircled for seven days. Not only did Joshua get some reassurance from God, he got some interesting marching orders. God instructs him in Joshua 6, verses 1 through 5. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. And he continues on and says, You shall march around the city and the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. So for six days they got up that that morning and they marched around the city once. And he described it saying, Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. And they will make a long blast with the ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, this describing on the seventh day after you've marched around it seven times... After you hear the blow of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout. This is the strangest battle tactic that probably anybody could come up with. But then God promises, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, every one straight before him. I grew up watching the show Hogan's Heroes. 
Anybody remember Hogan's Heroes? You know, it was really funny because all the Germans spoke English. Uh, But there would be some times when they would, like, come out with a German statement. So, so one of the, the, the one German statement that I remember from Hogan's Heroes, usually by Sergeant Schultz or somebody, um, is after they would receive an order, they would say, Jawohl, mein Kommandant. It basically means, yes, sir. Yes, my commander. And we see that's what the nation of Israel said. That's what Joshua said. That's what the nation of Israel said. Starting in verse 6 of Joshua 6, So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. And we read in verse 15, And on the seventh day they rose early at the dawn of the day, and they marched around the city in the same manner seven times. And it was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. I want to tell you something. Following the Lord always involves submitting to his ways by faith. It involves submitting to his way of marriage. It involves sitting, submitting to his way of saving sex for marriage. It involves submitting to his way of children obeying their parents. Of husbands loving their wives of wives respecting their husbands, of, of churches submitting to leadership, of churches submitting to the Lord and seeking what His vision is, of there not being an old guard and a new guard and a, and a political struggle for power. Walking with God always involves submitting to His ways and doing so by faith. That is the point of all these verses in Hebrews 11, if you haven't picked it up, by faith. And these Hebrews needed to hear this because they had walked away from the temple. They were clinging to Christ. They had walked away from their Jewish families that were disowning them because they claimed Christ was the Messiah and they were doing so by faith. In the shadow of that temple that their family was telling them, You should be over there worshiping. You should be over there sacrificing. Peter Jeffrey writes, Faith is not an irresponsible step into the unknown, but a reasonable obedience to the will and word of the sovereign, almighty God. And I came across another interesting story of a strange tactic. A a man named Cambyses II of Persia was going to battle in 525 B.C. And he ordered his men to do something strange. He ordered them to paint cats on their shields. He also brought in hundreds of actual cats into his front lines. And and the men on the front lines would be holding cats or having cats walk out in front of them. Why in the world would he do this? Well, he was, he was fighting against the Egyptians in the battle of Pelusium. And, and the Egyptian archers refused to fire on the advancing troops. Because injuring a cat was punishable by death. <laughs> due to the Egyptian religious beliefs. And instead of, instead of firing their, their arrows on this, this marching force, the Egyptians retreated and most of them were massacred by the pursuing Persians. And ultimately this led to the Pharaoh actually being captured. So one military leader directed his men to do the unexpected and the opposing leader lost the battle and his freedom because his faith, the faith of his men was ill-placed in cats for all, you know, for all things. 
Submit yourself to God's way. His strange tactics of trudging while trusting. As faith in God's glory is important, our faith is lived out by our obeying his commands. And this begins with believing and obeying the gospel. To repent of our sinful ways. To repent of our our self-trusting. Our thought, our idea that my sin is not so bad that it's going to separate me from God. Maybe, Maybe I'm... I'm the one person that could could have a relationship with God just by sitting in church, just by doing enough Bible studies. Maybe I'm the one person that they can have a relationship with God just by the quality of who I am. No, the first obedience that we are called to do in obeying the gospel is to repent of our sin, to repent of the idea that we can earn a relationship with God in our own sinful state. It is impossible. And it is an insult to the holy God. We also obey the gospel by throwing ourselves on the sacrifice, the person and work of Jesus Christ. And on him alone for our salvation. We ask God to take our sin, to take our sinful acts that we think are so righteous And to give us Christ's righteousness instead. A very relationship with God starts with obedience. The obedience of faith. And it keeps going from there. It keeps going from there. We live in faith as we believe God and recognize that people are not God's greatest enemies. As we read in Ephesians 6, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of your boss. No. The schemes of your neighbor. No. The schemes of that aunt that you have that drives you nuts. No. The schemes of the devil. And he explains it saying, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We, we, we walk in faith recognizing that people are not God's greatest enemy. The devil is. We also live, we walk in God's way as we hope for a deeper victory in people's minds and in our minds, as we read about in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. These are the strongholds. That we battle against today. Lastly I want to challenge you. Surrender yourself to God's glory. Submit yourself to God's way. And see for yourself God's work. Just as the people of Israel did. It was by faith. The walls of Jericho fell down. After they'd been encircled for seven days. One writer says faith often requires the conviction that God can do the seemingly impossible. I think I might have already read that. But this statement here, the walls of Jericho fell down. This is the independent clause in this verse. The walls of Jericho fell. The people of Israel saw it happen just as God said it would. Back in Joshua 6, verse 20, we read, So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown, and as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. I told you I would show you an aerial picture that on the left is an aerial picture of the city of Jericho, as it's been excavated specifically in the 1950s excavation and in 1997 where trenches were dug down and they were able to say, okay, here's the retaining wall, here's mud bricks, here's pots that have 
uh, grain in them. Here's the grain storage area. You can see pictures of this online if you'd like to, or in that thing that I shared on Facebook. Um, but to the right there is the rendering of what even in the 1950s, even though that person uh, got the date uh, a little bit wrong originally, even in the 1950s, what they found was as they were excavating, they're like, okay, here's the retaining wall that, that the mud brick wall was standing on, but here's all these mud bricks down in front of the retaining wall, almost like they've made a ramp. And what are we told in Joshua 6? And, the men, and every man went up into the city. Another thing that, so you can kind of see there, you kind of see the stone wall there with the red brick, retain, the retaining wall falling down. This is the rendering, this is a color version of it, of the sketches that in, even in the 1950s, the skeptic that was, that was doing the excavation work of this said, this is how this wall fell. They also found there, as uh, the book of Joshua tells us, that they burned the city by fire. They found mud bricks and, and the, the uh, stones of houses that had been burned. And they even found the grain that was in the storage pots was charred by fire. Obviously, we expect that archaeology is just going to prove what the scripture tells us. But they found that there were these open spots where, where the, 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 um, the mud bricks had made ramps in both of these walls at the same time. So here's what I'm supposed to say, you know, at this point, right? God is going to flatten whatever wall stands before you, right? Get out your bank statement and, and put that before the Lord and, and put it on the floor and walk around it seven times and, and God's going to raise up that, I don't know how that works, you know, it's not flattening, it's already flat, it's supposed to raise the number on that bank statement. Or that God's supposed to take that physical ailment that you're facing and, and he and you are going to be able to tell God by making use of these seven trips around it or something like that. What was the first thing we learned this morning? It's not about us. It's about his glory. When Joshua asked the commander of the army of the Lord, are you for us or for our adversaries? What was his answer? Um, No. It's about his glory. And he does not give his glory to anyone. And praise the Lord we don't sway him or else the universe would fall apart. We don't sway him to work by our agenda. We don't sway him to work on our timing. Prayer doesn't change God. It changes us. For his glory, for our good. Usually the first wall he targets is our pride, our self-serving plans, He intends to help his redeemed people be more like Jesus. And I recall Jesus telling his father, let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. That's the place that God is going to bring us to. That is the wall within our heart that he is going to tear down. The wall that says, no God, you're not allowed to work that way. No God, it's not allowed to be about you. No, God, you're not allowed to predestine people. Those are the walls that he's going to tear down first. Maybe his plan is for you to live with that condition and to tear down your definition of what it means to be blessed. Maybe his plan is for your family to go without in order for you to come to the joy that comes with contentment. Our relationship with God begins with our being dead in our trespasses, and in our sins. And then, but God. And growth in our relationship with God usually moves forward with our wall of self-centeredness having been torn down by a but God. 
wanted to share this with you. I hope this isn't offensive to you, but uh, a friend of mine, his wife was sharing her testimony at a lady's tea, and this was the title of her talk. We all have big butts. Now, you guys are spelling challenge. Don't be offended here. That butt is spelled B-U-T. We all have big butts. And she's referencing to, to passages like Romans 5, 6 through 8. While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that we were still, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Or from Ephesians 2 that describes how we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were wrapped up in the, the course of this world. We were directed by the spirit of this age, God's enemy. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And then he says in verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God is always, he's always been stepping in for his glory and tearing down spiritual walls with his butt. God. Surrender yourself to God's glory. Submit yourself to God's way and see for yourself God's work beginning with yourself. Let's bow our heads. Father God, for most of us, we are kind of beyond being amazed that you could tear down a wall because we have seen you tear down the walls within our hearts. We've seen you tear down the walls of self-righteousness and bring people to repentance. We've seen you tear down our pride, our selfishness. And Lord, we ask that you would continue to do so. Lord God, allow us to live and walk by faith in you, in your plan that is for your glory. Change us, Father, I pray, so that we can watch you tear down those walls that we never expected to happen. And Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.